couple of announcements from Pastor Allen. Good morning. I wanted to take just a few minutes to give the whole church an important update on some exciting kingdom news. We completed an initiative called Advance in December of last year. And we said we wanted to make sure to let the whole church know what the total giving was in the light of pledges made. And while we're not really about making a big deal about a number, it seemed wrong to say nothing and that we ought to give thanks to God. So four things I wanna share with you. Number one, all glory to our God for what he has accomplished during the last two years of advance. All of it points to his goodness and his faithfulness. Number two, God moved in the lives of so many people who encountered Jesus in the context of their own personal generosity. Only God can do that, because we don't want to do that. Number three, we were able to do several things within advance. We launched a new campus in Alma, praise God. We began a permanency fund so that we could have a church home eventually for that Alma campus in the future. We increased giving towards global missions, not local nonprofits, in both Isabella County and Gratiot County as well. We were able to respond to the flood crisis that took place in Midland. We were able to, and this is huge, we were able to fund all current ministries for Community Church for two years. We were able to pay off $2 million worth of medical debt for pennies on the pound. This influenced so many lives of so many people in over 50 counties in the state of Michigan who were unable to pay that medical debt. We had a gospel expansion of reach for those who were able to join us online each week as a result of COVID. And we were able to launch a 12-step ministry program called Celebrate Recovery. We established a scholarship fund for all of our community groups to help serve this local community. So praise God, a ton of amazing kingdom things took place. And lastly, number four, the total amount pledged for this initiative was $6.636 million. So $6.6 million. The total amount that was provided through the generosity of this church was actually $6.92 million. Now that is enormous, enormous news. And I wanna thank and I wanna honor this church for your generosity and your faithful giving, for your prayers, for your weekly support, especially in the middle of a pandemic, to God be all the glory. Now for the last several months, we've been in a time of praying and planning, asking God to give us great discernment about how do we continue to serve him in the future. And in a few months from now, I'm gonna ask the entire church to share in that time of prayer and fasting together. Here's the key question for our prayers. God, how can we be intentional and responsive to how you are leading us at this time? Community Church Alma, I want to speak to you specifically. I could not be prouder of the lighthouse for the gospel that you are. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I am praying for your marriages, for your health, for your children, for your loved ones, and your friends who do not know Jesus Christ. And you are already making a real difference in people's lives in this county. I'm praying for more though. I'm praying that the Alma campus will see thousands of men and women and children come to follow Jesus Christ, to follow him, to discover his love and forgiveness. So thank you for the way that you are serving and caring, the way that you faithfully give. Thank you for your heartfelt, powerful prayers and for pouring out your lives into Gratiot County. I want you to know that I love you. So here's where the news gets really, really crazy. Two incredible things have happened, one of which impacts everyone in Alma very directly. Number one, 
you remember a moment ago I mentioned that we started a permanency fund so that one day we could acquire a building for our Alma campus? For the last several months, we've been in negotiations for a facility in Alma. It's the old J.C. Penney building that I'm standing in right now on Wright Avenue, just off the freeway and right in the middle of all this commercial traffic, 32,500 square feet for Jesus. We actually have a signed purchase agreement, which brings us to about the one yard line. The building is being split, which requires some process with the city of Alma, and then we've got some final details with the seller. Would you please be praying that this comes to a conclusion in the next few weeks? After that, we'll move into a design and renovation phase. Now, with the condition of the construction industry and the lag time in supply chain, our hope is to get in the door sometime around 2023. So incredibly, incredibly exciting. Number two, as if that were not enough, we've been praying about additional campuses in other locations. Now, do you remember just a moment ago, I said that we wanted to pray about how could we be intentional and responsive to how the Lord is leading us? Well, the Lord just completely surprised us with, uh, with an incredible opportunity, and we have responded to that opportunity. So we were contacted by a church in St. John's, Michigan, that needed to sell their building. And we went and we visited with them, and we ended up buying that very church building in St. John's, where we will be having a future campus, praise God. Now, to be completely transparent, we actually have a specific budget line in our church that we call future growth. And now it's a very unique budget line to help us respond to something that would be just unexpected, something out of the ordinary that God might do. Well, we had $150,000 in that budget line. We bought this beautiful building in St. John's for $150,000. We paid cash for it, zero debt. And when we approached the elders and the trustees about this decision, we had 100% complete unity from every single elder and every single trustee to move ahead with this. We actually closed on that building on January the 15th. So, what now? Well, we've got a lot of moving parts that are all very, very exciting. And we want to continue in this time of discernment together. We'll continue to, to look north, south, east, and west to see how can we serve God best. We need to provide some runway in order to have things done well and in order, both in Alma and in St. John's. So our hope is that by this autumn, we'll be able to come back to the church and share a more concrete and exciting plan as the gospel continues to expand and as we continue to make disciples. What an amazing time to serve God together on purpose. Would you pray with me for just a moment? God, thank you for all that you've done. We are not the hero. Some amount of money is not the hero. Um, even the good things that we've done, that's not the hero. We declare with our lips today that Jesus Christ is the hero, that you are our savior, our provider, our forgiver, and our friend. So God, thank you for blessing this church. Thank you for the unity and passion and excitement around the mission of leading people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. We humbly commit all future plans into your hands of care in Alma, in St. John's, online, in Mount Pleasant, and anywhere else that you would call us to go. To God be all the glory, great things you have done. Amen. In order to stand strong and warm in the face of the cold winter winds, a house must be built a proper way. 
built with intention, purpose, and an attention to detail. Our lives aren't so different. We can't simply live our lives by default. And God's given us a blueprint that we can pattern our lives after. He's given us stories and examples of real people who have gone before us. God wants to help you design your life. Like I said, I'm live. We pay her the big bucks. You know, this is an exciting day, and, and I just want to say I, I am really hurting for Pastor Allen, who wanted to be here live to be able to tell you and Alma and those online all of this great news. So please pray for him and continue to pray as we move forward. So I guess today I should say, Good morning, Mount Pleasant. Good morning, Alma. Good morning online. And good morning, those of you who are not yet at St. John's, because <laughs> they will be there. Well, imagine with me for a moment that we're watching an interview. Now, it's out of time and space because this interview is taking place in a little town called Nazareth, and it's taking place with a woman named Mary. And the interviewer says to her, so tell me a little bit about your life. And here's Mary's response. My life was not as I planned. I became pregnant before marriage. My baby was born in a stable, not a hospital. Someone else named him. I was forced to move to a foreign land and as he grew, I knew I had a son with a mind of his own. I was humiliated at how people treated him. It broke my heart. Then I observed his hideous death. Lastly, I was assigned by him to live with one of his close friends, John, for the rest of my life. And the interviewer says, well, why did it have to be this way? And Mary said, because it was God's design. For four weeks, we have looked at the design of God in the life of Adam and Solomon, Aquila, Priscilla, and Timothy. And we finish the series today with the woman who is most venerated throughout Scripture and honored because of how God chose to use her. But sometimes things don't go the way that you think they should. Rather than questioning God, why is this happening? Why not ask him to show you the design he has for your life and then get on with it? I'm not aware of any people in my lifetime, and I doubt that you are either, who knew from the beginning what their end would be. Someone asked me once, you know, is that something you'd like to know? No way, because I know I'd change the way I live if I only had a certain amount of time left. But I'd just as soon live out God's design under God's plan so that he could tell me what he has for me. Mary had a plan. She was a, a simple girl who never would have pictured in her heart uh, 
that this is what God wanted to do with her. Neither did the Jews believe that this would happen this way because they were thinking of this king who was going to come who should be born of a princess in a palace. That's how they viewed Christ coming to take over. But it wasn't God's plan. He was born of a young Jewish teenager who was of humble upbringing in Nazareth. So we're going to walk through three phases of Mary's life today. The first is from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Nazareth was not just a small country town. Nazareth was actually the home of many priests and of a very well-spoken temple. So it was a trafficked community where she was growing up. And she had met a man who was a carpenter by the name of Joseph. More than likely settled, secure financially, had a good job, and he was a little older than she was, and so they were betrothed. Now, that's not like engagement. You may think engagement is the same, but it's not. Being betrothed is very similar to our today actually being married, but they didn't live together yet. But they held true to their vows, though they were not yet living together. And it could be months between the time of betrothal and the time of the wedding. They were not of the wealthy or middle class. By virtue of the gift they give when they take Christ to the temple, they were poor people, just struggling every day. And Mary was a girl who was minding her own business, and then one day, this angel shows up. I've never had that happen, have you? This angel just shows up in her face. Luke chapter 1, 28. (laughs) Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Oh my goodness. Now first of all, I'd be scared to death that I'm in the presence of something I've never seen before. I've heard about them, but I haven't seen them. I don't know if he was larger than life or he was taking the form of a person. I don't know, but I know this. She just probably stood there staring at him. What would have bothered her more than anything was the statement, you are highly favored by God. Because she understood, I'm not bringing anything to the table that warrants being favored. God didn't have this lineup of young Jewish girls and say, no, no, no. Yeah, you probably have done better than the rest. I'll take you. That's not how God did it. God planned before the foundations of the world that this young Jewish girl would be the mother of Christ. And so she was amazed that God would favor her because she recognized there's nothing in me worth the favor of God. But remember, she was the designed choice of God to bring forth the Messiah. She had a simple default. I'm going to be a young Jewish girl. I'm going to marry a nice man. I'm going to have some children. I'm going to raise them in the temple. And they're going to love God all their days. That was her plan. Until it was interrupted. If God created everything. And God sustains everything. Then why should we think. That we know better than God. How we are to live our lives. 
We don't. When you yield your life to Jesus Christ and you say to him, be my Lord, be my Savior, you're also saying, and be my designer. Design my life for me. I will follow you. And God will lead you through his Holy Spirit as you follow him. Gabriel comes in in this time with her. And here's where he really shocks her. He not only tells her she's going to be the mother of Messiah, but he shotguns her with this rapid-fire statement in Luke 1, 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And then he says he's divinely named. He's absolute greatness, son of God, never-ending royalty, king of the kingdom of God. And she's going, whoa, Gabe, TMI. You know, don't go so fast. I, I can't handle all this information that you're giving me. But I imagine Gabriel had been waiting, you know, for all of history to make this announcement. This was exciting to him because he got to tell her, you're going to birth the Messiah and the Messiah is going to save the world. And she's just standing there, slow down. She was shocked, not that it was going to happen, but that it was going to happen to her. See, that's what shocks us is when we are following God's design he all of a sudden does something you didn't expect. I remember Pastor Allen coming to me and saying, we may be able to get that J.C. Penney building. I'm going, really? And the negotiations have been going on for a long time. Please pray and fast that in the next few weeks we'll be able to close on that. But then God's design said, I have a church for you in St. John's. And I'm going, say What? St. John's, why would we go there? Because that's God's design. That's why we're going there. You see, God has a plan. So yield to the plan. That was probably not Mary's plan, but she accepted it. You see, her default, she could no longer go back to. Because when God says he's going to do something, he does it. He always follows through on his promises. That's why he say, say, we say he is the way maker, the promise keeper. Whenever he tells us something, it's true. I'm thankful that God had a design for me. It took me 28 years to recognize that my default was terrible. It wasn't going to lead me where I needed to go. But his design was great. And God's design for you is great. I didn't understand the call, but I accepted it. That's called faith. God has poured into you the faith you need to believe in Jesus. He will also continue to nurture that faith and grow that faith as you exercise that faith. And so as I exercised that faith, God began to open up the vision for me showing me what my design would be. Every step of the way, my attempt, many times with failure, has been to follow his design. If I hadn't, I don't know where I'd be today, and neither do you. Mary didn't question why it was to happen to her. She simply wanted to understand her connection to the entire promise. What is it that I'm supposed to do, Lord? I think in her heart she knew this. I have to accept 
the embarrassment, the suspicion, the misunderstanding, which will undoubtedly follow me all the days of my life. And she didn't enter this with all this great joy. She entered it understanding the hardness of it. The Holy Spirit is active both in creation and in recreation. He brings life to us when we are dead, pointing us toward Jesus. And then he continues to refresh us in the Spirit as God's design unfolds before us. So here's what he did. The Spirit said to her, Mary, I want you to go and see your cousin Elizabeth. Why? Why did she have to go? Elizabeth was an older woman. It was a miracle that she was now going to have a baby, and this same angel had spoken to her husband, Zechariah, who is the priest, and said, in nine months, your wife is going to have a child. And he said, what? And he was struck dumb until the child was born, because he questioned. But this child now is six months in the womb of Elizabeth, and Mary goes to see her. And the baby in Elizabeth leaps when the baby in Mary comes forward. And there you hear of the wonderful statements that are made by Elizabeth and by Mary. Or see, God wanted to show, I did a miracle there with Elizabeth. I'm going to do a miracle here with you. God is a miracle-making God. He does, through his design, work miracles in our lives. I've been hearing of them over and over and over in our midst, things that God is doing. Well, Mary still had an enormous mountain to climb. She had to tell Joseph, how do you phrase that? You know, how do you say, I was visited by an angel? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And so Joseph was ready to quietly divorce her, thinking she had been unfaithful to him. But she hadn't. So what does God do? God has to straighten out Joseph because Joseph's default is not to believe Mary. But God's design is for him to believe Mary. Now, the rabbis at that time used to say this, a good dream is one of three things popularly regarded as marks of God's favor. If anyone sleeps seven days without dreaming, call him wicked. So Gabriel comes to Joseph. He says, this is of the Lord. And Joseph believed it. And I know that he was thrilled to know that he had a faithful wife. He married her quietly, and then the stage was set, and the decree came down, and it was that everyone should go back to their hometowns and their register so that the tax could be given. And Joseph takes Mary. She's now nine months along, and they go toward Bethlehem. So now we've moved from Nazareth to Jerusalem, we're going to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Mary was really trying to understand what the next steps would be. And the faith that was required of her helped her grab that understanding. 
That's how it is when you're following God's design. God once spoke to my wife and me, not audibly, but we knew it was from the Lord. He said, your life's going to be like a puzzle. You've put puzzles together before. What's the easiest part? The edge, right? I do that, walk away, leave it for everybody else to do. He said, but you'll never understand how to make the pieces fit until after I put them in place, and then you look back and you'll see. That's how God works. He already knows the design. He already is working the plan to put everything together. All I'm supposed to do is have faith to believe and follow his design. It's an amazing thing that that happens when Christ is born. You know, we're not actually told about the actual birth process. That's called a silent time. What we find is Mary in this stable, which would have been rather quiet and nice to be in since thousands and thousands of people were in the streets and finding places, God set them apart into a small little place where they could have this baby. And there's some shepherds not too far away, about seven miles away, and they are working with the temple flock. Those are the sheep that are offered in sacrifice. And the angel comes and speaks to them, and they come to Mary, and they speak to her. And she, the Bible says, ponders these things in her heart. She treasured them in her heart because she was seeing now the evidence of God working in her life. There are two requirements when a child was born in a Jewish home. One is for the Jewish law saying you have to pay a redemption price for the firstborn and then you have to pay a price for the mother when she comes for purification. Those two were combined with Mary and Joseph and they paid one fee and the reason we know they were poor is rather than giving the five shekels and offering something else, they only brought either doves or pigeons. Then one of the most dramatic things takes place in Mary's understanding. Here's what happens. Simeon, the prophet, Luke chapter 2, he understands that something is happening and he holds the baby. And he tells Mary that her heart is going to be pierced with a sword because of this baby who's going to cause many to fall and many to rise. So God is gradually unfolding to Mary the direction he's taking her. He's helping her early on understand the difficulties she's going to face in this design. And he'll do that for you. When you think that you've got it all figured out, God will step in and correct whatever was wrong because you're trying to follow his design. He did that in the lives of those we've already spoken about in the past four weeks. And he'll do it for you. Mary, you're going to have a sword pierce your heart. She put that into her heart to understand it. But she trusted God. Joseph receives another dream. The angel comes and says, they're searching for you. They're searching for the baby. Any child under two will be killed. The three wise men had gone to Herod, and they knew that he was a little child now. And the angel said, flee to Egypt. So they go to Egypt, they stay there until Herod dies, and then they come back. 
So we've gone from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Now we're going to go from Jerusalem to heaven. Jesus' development is considered and described that he was a normal boy growing up in a Jewish home, following his mother's faith. He would have been trained at the temple. There were many, many priests living in the town. He would have known them. He would have been gaining a skill as a carpenter, even at a young age, and learning the word of God. Now, there was an annual pilgrimage during Passover. And every year, Joseph and Mary and the children would go up to Jerusalem to be able to worship there during Passover. And you know, many of you, the story that there was one time when they were three days walking on the way home and recognized that Jesus wasn't with them. So they turn around and go back, and his mother finds him in the temple. And what he does is he gives a very gentle rebuke. He's probably around 12 years old, which is adulthood in the Jewish beliefs. His bar mitzvah would have taken place. He's there listening to the teachers and questioning them. And she basically says to him, look, this was not right. You shouldn't have stayed here. You're supposed to come with us when we go. You're a good boy. Why didn't you do that? And he says, don't you know that I should be in my father's house? And I'm sure this rush went across her as she recognized, yes, I do know that. Because I have remembered for the last 12 years what I was told when I was told I'd be your mother. And I know where this is headed. Jesus was kind to her, but it's a lesson for each of us. Get this down. If you don't get anything else today, and I hope you do, get this. When it doesn't make sense, don't fall back on what does. When it doesn't make sense what's happening, don't fall back on what does, but by faith, Lean forward into the lap of Jesus. He'll give you the faith you need to follow his design. How many times has that happened to you where it just doesn't make any sense anymore why this is happening in our life? If you just stop right there and say, but by faith I believe God that you have a design for my life, so I'm going to follow that. So speak to me now, Lord, and through circumstances, through other people, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, speak. And I will follow. Mary follows. Years go by. He's 30 years old. They get invited to a wedding. Many believe that it was probably a relative of Mary who was being married because she had a role, apparently, to take care of the drink to make sure there was enough drink in the area. And she recognizes that they're going to run low on wine. So she goes to Jesus and says, they're low on wine. I mean, she wants him to do something because she knows he can. She knows who he is now, fully aware that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And she is worshiping now, not just as a mother, but also she's worshiping her Lord, her Savior, in whom she believes. She doesn't command anything. She just says this. And Jesus, in this gentle rebuke again, says, woman, you don't have any right 
to try to manipulate my design. My hour for manifestation hasn't come. It's not time yet for me to do this. So she turns to the servants and she says, just do whatever he says. She didn't really care what he did now. She was yielding to his design. And of course we know that was his first miracle. He turned the water into wine. But it was also the turning point where his ministry that had been quiet and silent for 30 years now becomes public. And from that time on, he and the disciples, along with his mother, lived in Capernaum to carry out his ministry. For 30 years, she watched him. And now three more years, maybe three and a half pass, and she is devastated by what's taking place because he's being rejected everywhere he goes. He's doing signs and wonders and miracles, and it's beginning to, to hurt her heart to see her child treated this way. Some of you know that feeling. And he is simply following the design that God gave him, that this is what you should do. So here she was, standing at the foot of the cross, watching her son as he was impaled and as he began the process of dying. With her at the cross was her sister, Salome, who was the wife of Zebedee, and they were the parents of James and John. Also, the sister of Joseph, Mary, who was married to Alphaeus. She was the mother of James, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, all who became disciples. And she hears the last words of her son directed to her when he says, in a very gentle way, the Greek word is a, a very gently spoken gunai from where we get gynecology. Gunai, woman. It says, woman, your son, pointing to John. John, your mother. He now passes on the responsibility of motherhood and sonship to John and Mary. It's believed that John then took her away from the cross so that when they took him down, she wasn't there. But then something remarkable happens. Jesus is resurrected. The scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, tells us that more than 500 people saw her, saw him raised, along with the disciples. Paul's writing this, and he ends it by saying, you know, and then after all of them, me, born out of time. Here's my question. Did he go to his mother? Did she see him? Well, now, let me ask you moms in here. If your son hasn't seen you for a while and everything gets right, don't you think he's going to come see you? Don't you want him to come see you? I really believe that Jesus sought her out early and came to her. I was estranged from my mother for seven years. Didn't talk to her. And then I became a follower of Christ. I called her and said, I'd like to come see you. That gentle, sweet voice that I remembered said, sure, come on over. I pulled in the drive and got out. That sidewalk looked like it was about a mile and a half long. And she was standing there on the porch with her arms like this. 
And as I started walking up, the arms just relaxed more and more. And by the time I got a few feet from her, they were reaching out to me to embrace me, to forgive me, to welcome me back. I'm conjecturing that that's what Mary did. My son, my Lord, my Savior. And she gave him a great big hug. She followed God's design. And she is to be honored among all women because of her faithfulness to the call in her life. Some journeys are long, some are short, but when they follow God's design, they're always successful. You see, God will tolerate our defaults, but he'll bless his design. Let God design your life. Let him open your eyes to his wonderful design. And let's see what God will do with you in the years to come. Let's stand and worship him together.